0: You are listening to the Doxology and Theology podcast where we promote, encourage and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Well, good afternoon everybody. Welcome to a uh, a panel. The topic is Biblical Songs: Questionable Sources. And our plan for the next hour is to uh, think together, um, think together about how to evaluate um, the songs that we sing as a congregation. I think we all recognize, we all have a a desire to sing. Um, We we love our church, and we want to help our church grow in grace and in faith, and we have a desire to do whatever it takes for that to happen. And now we're… The question that we're asking specifically in this session is, how, do we, how can we determine what songs will be best for our church to sing, especially when the song might be from a place that might be not quite the same as us? If, if a song, the song itself, um, maybe the first thing to do is you check for heresy, right? You read the song, you're looking for heresy. Is there anything heretical in here? And then if there's not, does that mean go ahead and sing it, or are there additional questions to consider where it comes from? That's sort of the large topic of, uh, that we're discussing, and uh, maybe we should start with some introductions. I'm uh, Matthew Westerholm. I'm pastor for worship and music at Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm here to ask these people questions.
1: Bob Coughlin. I lead um, uh, Sovereign Grace Music and am a happy pastor at Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville with C.J. Mahaney.
2: Zach Hicks, and uh, I am a worship pastor at a downtown church in Birmingham, an Episcopal church called Cathedral Church of the Advent.
1: Fantastic. Can you lead us in prayer before we get going? Because we're going to need it. I, I we always that. do. But I'd love that. I'd Thank love you. that.
0: Let's, let's pray together. Lord, it is a privilege in the middle of a day to turn our attention to You and to know that You care for us and to know that You are not far off. Our hearts might feel like You're a long way or our hearts might feel like You're near, but the reality is You are close to us and You're for us. Thank You that You love us. Thank You that You love our churches. And we pray that You would teach us what it means to be faithful to You. Show us what it means. You are, Jesus, You are such a faithful... Um, son to the Father, you never wavered. You never um, um, turned to something else. You always trusted Him, and we want to be like you. Thank you that your faithfulness counts for us. And now we—I'm um, I'm just thinking of the verse, Lord Jesus, that where you said, In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit." So we would love for this conversation to be fruitful. Fruitful for our own lives, fruitful for our churches, fruitful for your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. 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 All right, question number one, and I have 17 page… No, I'm seizing. I have a page and a half of a couple of questions, but no particular order. Okay, simple yes or no question, but of course you can elaborate. Are there any particular songs, and I won't ask for names or any particular ministry, and again, I will not ask for names, that in your judgment are too questionable for you to include when you plan worship, and if yes, what are they?
2: Sovereign Grace.
1: <laughs> I don't do any Zach Hicks songs.
0: Are, maybe so, like, this is like a, gen, uh, like, is this a category? Are there songs that are off-limit because of... Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where they're from? Yeah, just as a as a general rule. Are there any that are in a? I I wouldn't do that.
1: Mm, not that I'm aware of. Doesn't mean I do them, but yeah, not that I'm aware of. That I'd absolutely say no. We're not doing any of those. Oh, there's one mystery that I don't do any songs from at this point.
2: Yeah, I. Would, I I tend to think that that's kind of a local question, and it depends on your local body and maybe the things that are either present that are weak spots for your church based on your tradition or heritage or denomination. Um, you know, places where you find maybe your congregation's ears are most ticklish where they shouldn't be, you know. Uh, so it's not, I don't know if I'd think categorically, but I'd think locally and maybe contextually about that kind of thing. You know, if a song is from a source, song's all good, but the source might be something that has been an issue in our congregation, you know, a source of of driving outside the bounds of orthodoxy. It would at least give me pause to think more critically about that because I know it's a weak spot for our congregation.
1: But so for you locally, in your congregation, are there any, would you say ministries now that you- Too questionable. Yeah, too questionable.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, there are songs and cultures within the Episcopal Church that often stir up connotations for people or, or connections with people or remembrances of past things that wouldn't be healthy for them to experience. And that's not the typical things that we're probably in this room to think about, but yeah, definitely.
0: Okay.
1: Was your first question about any songs? I'm just trying to make sure I understand the question. Any songs we wouldn't do?
0: Yeah, that seems a little more. Of, co- of course, there are songs.
1: That, but because they're associated with particular ministries. So right. great, fantastic song, but every, every line just fantastic, but you wouldn't do it because it's associated with a right. particular ministry. If
0: that song was written by Devin Coughlin, you would do it. Probably. <laughs> Not, that's, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, just thinking, thinking through that, um, yeah, okay, so what are some common questions that you ask when you're determining whether or not a particular song is too questionable to sing in your worship gathering? Maybe, maybe we should just even start there, but it might be too much to assume that we, you know, here's a song, and I've, I think I've heard both of you speak on this, so it's a softball, but um, here's a song. What questions do you ask? To determine whether or not you would include it in your ministry, just the song itself, and then we can look, talk about the the background of the song and the context of it.
1: Once you start,
2: I think you're starting to
1: get into that
2: yeah. whole area. That's good. Um, well, when I'm just raw evaluating a song, I'm asking the question questions from pragmatic to theological. Everything from is it singable? Is it something that can be set in a key that's a good range for our congregation? I'm asking um, is it Is it theologically uh, precise and connected to the scriptures? I mean, is it saying anything that's just outright wrong when you read the Bible and you hear it? Is it advancing an idea of God or an idea of humanity or an idea of uh, uh, spirituality that's not biblical, you know, and that's kind of a criteria? And then even then, I try to look for songs that are theologically precise in the sense that... They're not leaving things nebulous. Uh, and if they are, you know, this gets into some of that gray area where depending on where the context where this song is sung, it can be interpreted differently. You know, and if you start asking questions of the original author and their original intent, would it be my original intent in my context? Would it be my original intent uh, or my intent in um, even where it functions in the liturgy? Like I think songs, as weird as this sound. The text changes meaning, depending on, even if it's the same text, depending on where it falls in your uh, order of service. And so I'm asking those kind of, where would I place it in the liturgy? Uh, I'm asking dietitian questions. So like when I look at the breadth of Psalms and the breadth of theological expression from praise to lament, all the kind of various, this emotional and theological spectrum of worship, um, are there gaps in my congregation's... uh, corpus or canon, and where does that need filling out? I'm often inclined to find songs that fit that to sort of fill out the diet of our people. Are we overabundant in one aspect of the diet? And that might cause me to exclude, and I guess we're not getting into the uh, conversation of sources yet, but that's kinda some of the stuff that I process. Are you gonna answer any of these questions?
0: (laughs) Um, Maybe.
2: You should,
1: you should. After I answer, can you answer?
0: Could I go first? That way people won't remember what I said, and they'll just be like... <laughs> we'll get to the real answer last. You know, you always put your fastest runner last in the relay, Bob. You know, common track and field knowledge. Um, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Zach. Um, you know, one thing that um, has been interesting has been moving. I've, I've served in a couple different ministries, and it's interesting to think about um, songs that would have been, um, would not have served this congregation well, serve really well here, and then this place. So, um, so for example, I'm thinking of the John Foreman song, Your Love is Strong, um, which is uh, it's this uh, really beautiful text setting of, of the Lord's Prayer um, and, the, and the, the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a lyric, you know, it says, so why should I worry? why do I worry? Why do I freak out? You have all I need. You are all I need. Now, when I was uh, working at a college, students could sing, why do I freak out and not trip over that. As the new pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where um, Pastor John Piper sits in row 10 at the nine o'clock service, for me to put the lyric on the screen, why should I freak out? would cause, ironically, would cause people to freak out, <laughs> and the rest of the song would not solve the problem that was caused by the song. Right. So that would be an example of that song ministered in a particularly sweet way to, this, to these college in this college context, but in this multi-generational context, it caused more problems mm-hmm. than, it, than it helped.
1: Yeah, I think probably the only thing I'd add to what these guys have said, it's pulling off of something that Zach said, and that is I've been looking at songs for a long time. So 40 years I think I've been doing this. And um, I used to just look for great songs, you know, great praise songs, great worship songs. And now it's like there are thousands of those being written every year. And so that's just, you know, Uh, It's just not enough of a a, a sharply tuned focus uh, to to pick. So I tend to look for songs that are saying something that not a lot of songs are saying. So let me give you some example. Um, Not in Me. I don't think we've sung that here. Um, No. List of sins. List of sins I have not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Uh, Eric Schumacher, David Ward. I don't know of a single song like that. where It's the Pharisees' prayer. It was on the Book of Luke project. Um, as soon as I heard it, I thought, yes, I want to do that song because I don't have another song like it. Um, songs of adoration that... Particularly, develop the attributes of God. Yeah. We're great at listing the attributes of God. You know, remember that song? Um, you are holy. You're you're worthy. You're King of Kings. You're Lord of Lords. You're it just kind of listed. You can't even like can't take it all in, but you're getting them all in. You know, you're naming them, <laughs> and so that's the important thing. And I mean, you can. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So songs that develop. Uh, and an attribute of God. I'm reading uh, John Owen's volume six, complete works. First half is mortification of sin, temptation and indwelling sin. Second half is a commentary on Psalm 130. Which, which Sounds like a real downer of a it's book. It's a real man. downer of a book. And uh, <laughs> I read the first part twice, the first half. Uh, the second half, he spends 225 pages on with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. And I'm realizing my understanding of forgiveness is not quite as deep as I thought it was. So, so any song that will develop an attribute of God like that, I think um, the song we're learning here, the, um, Your Mercy is More, you know, it draws out some aspect of mercy that we might not see in another song. So so and obviously, if there are lines that are I don't understand or lines that are confusing or distracting, that I, that I just kind of don't do that song because we got ten thousand songs to pick from, yeah. so why do I need to do a song where one line's unclear? Um, so, but I'm I'm looking for song confession songs to be another one that are yeah. that don't make it sound like I'm confessing sins I didn't do but um that that really help us the one we did this morning shining to our night love that song it's a corporate song of confession so that's that's what i'm looking for
2: yeah so maybe a great example of a song that develops an attribute of god is the hymn immortal invisible god only wise um it camps out on on the mystery of god and it's it would be a great example as a study of one that Zeros in on, on on a certain attribute or an effect or an understanding of God, and and almost displays human and heavenly experience of that attribute. A great one to study. That's,
0: great. That's excellent. Could you flesh that out? That was such a good set. Like like how how does that song kind of like like how's it working? What's it doing?
2: Well, you walk through the lyrics: immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. And so there's lots of scriptural allusions in there, but it's starting to describe uh, God as transcendent and other, you know, yeah. hid from our eyes. Like I, I'm starting to get the sense that as a human being, to look on you is far too great a thing and I, I can't do it and I shouldn't do it, you know, and especially in a, in a day and age where we're, we're kind of all about imminence and being close to God, um, to be able to start there and develop that um, almighty, victorious uh, unresting, unhasting, and silent as night, nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might, thy justice like mountains high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. So starting to develop. You're, you're getting into God is holy other, but there's goodness about him. And, and uh, those blessings get, get poured out in that third verse of, to all life thou givest, to both great and small, in all life thou livest, the true life of all we blossom and flourish as leaves on a tree and wither and perish but not changeth thee. Like, just killer. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And the way it's starting to set the tone for how we how we encounter this mystery and this mysterious God prior to the revelation in Jesus, you know? That's
0: excellent. That's excellent. Thanks, Zach. Um, okay, maybe now moving from uh, particular songs. So now you have a, a list of... of Songs on the table of, of you know these are qualified in the in the categories we've talked about. They, these are um, the lyrics don't have any heresy in them. They are singable. They um, they might even serve a, a, a particular function that you're trying to fulfill in the worship service. And now, obviously, it's not quite this sequential. But now, let's think about the sources of where they're from. What are some questions, common questions that you would ask? when evaluating whether a particular ministry is too questionable to find songs from that
1: place. So things in the song or uh, just things in general?
0: Well, you answer it your way. Okay.
1: Um, okay, uh, so I just drove up to Chicago not too long ago and I listened to the latest Hillsong album and the latest, hmm, some other album. Which left a deep impact on me. I'm still processing it.
0: <laughs> hmm. Is that what it's called? I, the <laughs> hm <album? laughs>
1: it just it just slipped my mind. I obviously didn't find any songs on that album that I thought were necessarily helpful. Um, but I I am listening for uh, what I want people to sing. That's what I'm listening. You know, Colossians three sixteen says we're teaching and admonishing one another. So that the Word of Christ may dwell in us richly, one of the you know the, the, regarding the questionable sources um, you know question one of the common tendencies is to make it more about our feelings towards God than than just who God is and there needs to be a balance I mean the Psalms has a balance of uh, you know the objective truths and facts about God and, and how we respond to that. But I want to lead my congregation in, in the right amount of doctrinal fuel for their emotional fire, they're just the way to put it. And some of the, sometimes the songwriters, I don't think, just don't do a good job with that. Or there's, there's some point where it kind of just eek, tips over the, the line, goes over the line, and it somehow becomes about me. And I just think, I mean, sometimes I'll just let out a a, a vocal groan, you know, when I come to a line. Um, Can I give you an example? Please. All right. So so let me just say, I've been to Sydney. I've talked to a number of the leaders there, um, Rich and Cass Langton, just delightful people. Uh, All the people I've met are servants. They're joyful. They love the church. Um, I just found that across the board. So this, I just want to say that because uh, critiquing a song doesn't mean you don't like someone or that you you, know, you just banish everything about them. It doesn't mean that because you like someone, you always do their songs either. I mean, I don't do some of our songs, Sovereign Grace music songs. I just don't think they're that good, so um, <laughs> to be honest. You can ask me later which ones they are. Um, but there's a there's a song that just came out and it i i think it's just fantastic except for verse 2 begins with the line you didn't want heaven without us right. so let's look at that just for a second as soon as i heard it it was like do, 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 do. you know just alarm went off and i thought okay but then is it, that heresy yes yes so I always back off from the alarm and say, calm down, boy, calm down. Yeah, yeah. Just, just because you really need to listen to a song a few times, yeah. like three or four times before you, I think you can make an accurate judgment on it. I do encourage uh, like, listening to songs without distraction and listening to them with the words, like as you're reading the words, or read the words beforehand, just because it just helps you think more clearly about the song. If I want, I want to do songs that are gonna last, so I'm, I'm looking for words that are gonna make a difference. Um, and mean something. So I just thought, okay, that could be taken to mean you didn't want heaven without us. Well, yes, God in the overflowing generosity of His grace and love existed in His trying perfection and delight before we ever existed, could be in this. And um, out, of, out of the overflow of His grace and glory, for His glory, He decided to create a world in which we would be a part of heaven
2: forever. That's a big footnote. It on is that a line. big footnote. It is a big footnote.
1: On the other hand, it charitable. could it's a charitable, it's a yeah, charitable, charitable I, reading, But right. we want to be charitable in yes, our we reading. Because yes, man, as a writer, I want people to be charitable <laughs> oh, no. in what I write. Yeah. Um, but then more naturally I think it's saying, which a number of songs say, you know, heaven just wasn't that great without us. <laughs> on face value, you didn't want heaven without us. And it's like, you know what? I'm not sure how people might interpret that, but I think it's over the line. I don't, I want to do it. Even though I absolutely love the rest of the song. Yeah. Absolutely love it. So that'd be it.
0: I mean, maybe um, just to go back to something you said earlier about objective truth and subjective emotion on it. I just want to um, just really highlight, especially, and I, this is one of the things I love about Sovereign Grace music, children's music. When you've I'll, got kids I'll stand in the up room, for that. When you've got kids in the room and they're singing, you know, singing about how much they love, God, they love God. They love God. They love God. They love him, love him, love him. Love him, love him, love him. Well,
1: well, and don't forget that he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. But
0: yeah, you know, but honestly like, you know, your children's ministry is a mission field, right? So when you're giving your kids words about how much they love God and maybe they maybe they don't. I've I've been so thankful. Just in our own um, kids ministry, we're we're doing um, "Peace, You Give Me Peace," and our in our children's choirs are singing that. And in my own household, to have objective truth because your kids are memorizing songs like crazy. Just really, I would I would just commend like that sort of value from that sovereign grace has modeled for us about objective truth, especially for yes for adults too, but especially for the kids in our in our churches.
1: Yeah. Okay. I don't think Zach answered
0: Well, I don't think you did either. But um, uh, the the, part, the particular ministry question. So I, I, once we get past, this is a good song. It's even a you know, it's even a Bible song. All of these words are like in the Bible in some order. But now, but it's from a place. It's a little. Anyway, how, what are some questions you think of to evaluate? Yeah, that?
2: well, I think where the rubber meets the road, at least I imagine that the experience of many of us in this room, um, if, if it's just very tangible, is the concern with this very real pastoral reality, that we start doing uh, songs, especially, I mean, if I could just be this clean and honest about it, from especially charismatic traditions that either tinge toward or preach a full-blown prosperity gospel. That's the anti-gospel, right? Um, and we do a song by them, and our congregant goes and looks it up on iTunes and finds out, oh, it's called X Church. And I go and listen. I end up because it's bump. It's like you know, notifying me of all these other resources I can get, including sermons from the pastor. And all of a sudden, I'm listening to sermons from the pastor, and into my life is flooding an anti-Gospel. You know, and as as pastors, mm-hmm. we should be concerned about that. I think that that's and that's probably where the rubber meets the road because the songs that are dominating us right now, dominating the evangelical world, are from that area, and there's some orthodoxy mixed with some unorthodoxy, uh, you know, and heterodoxy. Uh, and so the question is, how do, we, how do we deal with that and process that, and I, I, I tend to think it's a pastoral issue. Like if we as worship leaders... Um,
1: wait, wait, is this another plug for
2: your book? Maybe. I, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, I'll plug it. Don't worry. You don't yeah. need to. I'll, I'll get it. If, if we as worship, number one, um, a huge guardian against that happening is the fact that we're involved in our congregation's lives. I mean, one of the things that we're, the only way that that becomes a reality is if we are not and our pastors aren't connected with our people's lives such that we, we don't know the kinds of things that are filling their minds and hearts uh, that they listen to. And of course, we can't be sort of big brother about it. But certainly, if there's true life on life ministry going on. That stuff gets greatly reduced, and there's almost a freedom in being able to use all kinds of great songs from all kinds of places when we're involved in the lives of our folks, and we're just sort of pastorally engaged because we can have those conversations. It's from this, yeah, I heard this sermon too. Let's talk a little bit about that that sermon and how it actually doesn't jive, you know, with who we are and what we believe is is true. Um, and I do think, in addition to what you know you were talking about, Bob, that that's a real because. Many of the songs that we draw from that have questionable sources are questionable in the area of the, past, uh, the prosperity gospel. That should be an antenna that sticks up to us in these songs. What are you listening for? You're listening, you're listening for things that put a lot of co- what Paul calls confidence in the flesh. You know, you're li- listening for things that uh, claim that I'm going to be doing all this for you. And it's almost like you're conjuring God to respond to you based on your fervor and your sincerity, and your willingness to just lay it all down for God. And when you hear that sort of thing, it starts to sound more like Baal worshippers cutting themselves that Baal will send the fire down, you know? And that's not biblical, right? Right. Uh, And so my, for me, that's where my antennae are for theology a lot in songs from those kinds of sources is, is this, is this just us cutting ourselves so that God will say, look at how sincere that one is. I'm going to send my blessing, my spirit down on them, you know? Um, And sometimes it's almost beyond the words themselves and into the way the songs are repeated and prayed and sung, right? You almost sense you're, you're trying a little hard here. Don't forget it's finished. Don't forget God in Christ provides all this stuff free of charge. You know, by by the word of his mouth, he gives you the promise. And um, to be able to have that sensitivity to that particular issue when you're analyzing and engaging these songs is is, is important. Yeah.
1: Can I add something to that? Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier, Matt and I were talking about, um, Just the, we live in the time of the already and the not yet. Already done, justified, already done um, in Christ, already done, seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Not yet. Uh, Jesus coming back, glorified bodies, fully sanctified, sin done, no more tears. Not yet we need songs that help express that 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 bring those two two together the joy that comes from the fact that Jesus has died for our sins and risen from the dead yes but that we still live in a fallen world that is experiencing you know the the effects of the gospel but not everywhere the effects you know the rule of the kingdom but not everywhere. So how do we deal with that even in our own lives? And yeah, there, is, there are songs I think that try to bring, yeah, bring what's going to be in heaven to right now. And when I've, when I've taught on this kind of topic, I just, the presence of God, I just, I say, you know, there's always got to be an element of longing in what we do, of anticipation. This is not heaven. Um, it's going to be a lot better in heaven, a lot better when people come up and say, yeah, I think we'll be singing that song in heaven. I think, I don't think so. <laughs> I think they're going to be a lot better. You know, I don't know what they're going to be like, but it's just going to be better. So we, we want to help people
0: realize that. Yeah. Um, there's a really good uh, book by uh, Ryan Lister on the presence of God. It's a, a thicker, if you like, pages It's good, Um, but it's on the presence of God, and he distinguishes between two different aims of the presence of God, that it has a uh, redempt, there's a redemptive presence of God and an eschatological presence of God. I'm going to, like, really um, not do justice to this really profound book, but um, uh, it would be very worthwhile thinking about. What's it called? Uh, The Presence of God, Ryan Lister. Ryan Lister you know so one of the ways that that shows up in our services is there are themes in that are in the not yet category that have disappeared from our from the songs that we sing a uh, confession of sin why do you confess sin because even though we have been forgiven from our sins we've been set free from the from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin but we haven't been set free from the presence of sin and so we need confession and a songs about Um, lament because Christ has transferred us from the uh, kingdom of darkness, but we still should not be conformed to this present age. So, we lament that. And songs about mission. There used to be a lot of songs about about missions, but you don't have missions in heaven because missions exist because worship doesn't, I've heard somebody say. And um, therefore… If the worship in our churches, if the kingdom of God is 10 out of 10, well, then we don't need mission anymore. A false teaching, that's another category that kind of disappears if the kingdom is happening right here, right now. So, just… Um, I think I should write a dissertation on that. I did. I wrote a dissertation on that. Don't get me started. Okay.
1: Um,
0: okay, here's a, here's a question. Uh, Philippians 1, Paul describes people that are preaching Christ with impure motives. And he says, "Rejoice." So, does that give us permission I wrote I wrote the question in a really snarky way. I apologize for the amount of snark in this question. Are we trying to be holier than Paul when we reject worship songs that don't meet our scruples?
1: Yeah, I would say if if they clearly articulate the gospel, and in your context, it won't be a distraction. We really haven't gotten to this question yet. Can I jump in do it. here? Yeah, do it. I mean, you we we started talking about local context. I think Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14 uh, it's all about edification. What edifies the church? What builds up the church? Not only individuals, but the church corporately. What, what makes us more look like Christ? corporately. He says, if it doesn't edify, don't do it. Distraction does not edify. So if, if I do a song in my context that I think is going to be a distraction, uh, I will not, no matter how good the song is, I will not do it. I'll give an example, we used to do a song by a guy who was well-known, he committed adultery, which was well-known, and we just stopped doing the songs right away. Why? Well, because we didn't want people singing that song and thinking, this guy committed adultery and I'm singing his lyrics, and why is that? This seems weird to me. We didn't want anybody thinking that. We want people to be focused. And we just thought in that situation, it was a judgment call, it was a fairly large church, 2,000, 3,000 people, Uh, but we just thought, you know what, he's too well known and we're just not going to do it. Uh, So.
2: Yeah, and at the same, I don't think this is in contradiction. I think this is held as a pastoral tension in that. Um, what We can start to, when we take that posture in our hearts, because we're always just, you and I are always going to err toward being Pharisees, self-righteous. And um, what will happen is we can start, and I'm not saying this did that, but I'm saying we can go there, we can go here, which is to start um, down this road where we're, we're not only heresy hunting, but we're sin hunting. And, uh, and honestly, I'm a little scared of that as a songwriter because if people knew me well enough, I would, my songs should be disqualified based on that you know, category, based on the, actually the way Jesus you know, relativizes and then makes absolute every kind of sin before the eyes of God in the Sermon on the Mount. And sometimes the spirit can develop. I, I think that's very wise to, if it's very present to your congregation, that they're going to end up thinking about the songwriter's adultery more than they are about where the song's leading. You've got you to not do it, because you're all about what is aiding the people of God, experiencing God through the story of the gospel and the liturgy, right? Um, but we also can uh, s- start to get in this posture of, of sniffing out every last sinner who's ever written a song. And if they have... And it's all—it's a—it actually goes back to a heart issue of the person selecting the song, way more than the sin issue of the person who wrote it, you know. Uh, and and so, for for those of us who really care about theological precision, and morality, and truth, and and biblical faithfulness and fidelity, and all those kinds of things, our default sin is always going to be. In way too much of a judgmental posture in these kinds of ways, and I think in the midst of being faithful guardians and keepers, it is it is an imp- appropriate thing to stand before the Lord and ask about uh, the feigned righteousness with which I go about my job. You know, uh, the feign feigned righteousness, because you know, there's a sense in which if we start hunting for sin, there's no end of the line before every last person on the earth, apart from Jesus, is decimated right? Uh, and so, and that's why Jesus was actually always pressing down the folks who were hunting down the sinners. And he was, that was the one time where he got ang- the times where he got angry, the times where he fought back. And you saw some, like, you saw some claws in Jesus' ministry. It was when he was, uh, noting the people who had gone too far in, in thinking, you know, when I come before the Lord, I, I pray this way. And, uh, you know i pray so that that god can hear me and i thank the lord that i'm not like this person over there and jesus says that's it's lame <laughs> i much prefer the person who's beating his breast knowing that he or she is a sinner and in need of grace um so i say that in in partnership i think with what's what's being said
1: yeah i would uh, agree that uh, we we <laughs> when you're concerned about your lyrics that the church is singing your default is to become a Pharisee Um, and I've been, I've walked through that too many times not to agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, What I've realized is that singing a song or two or three from a questionable source will, will not cause the Holy Spirit to leave, will not cause your church to, you know, just default into depravity Um, that God's bigger than a song. Um, doesn't mean we shouldn't care. It's a tension yeah. that, that we have to hold. So I would, uh, I would add to what Zach said. Yeah, um, yeah I want to make sure I'm not, like, making that call based on, oh, we would never do that, but more on, well, you know what? There but for the grace of God go I, and God keep me from that, um, but this will be a distraction <laughs> to people, so we're not going to do it. So if, you, if you're not doing stuff, make sure it's not out of the attitude, even doctrinally. Well we've certainly got all our doctrine together I mean we you know when we get to heaven we're going to get like a ninety nine point nine percent on the doctrine test, and so we're good we're good to go i mean I hope I'm trying to to believe God's word and to understand what it says and I believe you know I want to study theology and I want to study you know the doctrine and i, I, I that's how I know God, but I don't think I know it all and and God, God uses what, what's out there. I mean, he, he uses some songs that I think are just not very good yeah. to bless millions of people. Yeah. And if God had asked my opinion on that, right. <laughs> I would have said, God, don't let that person write that song. Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah. the, so I've, and I've talked with him about this uh, above all. Paul Balasch is above all. <laughs> uh, Lenny LeBlanc. And, and uh, I haven't talked to Lenny, but I've talked to Paul. Uh, you know, the last line is, you know, you, you took the fall, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. And I, I, I said to Paul, this is years ago, uh, I don't think he thought of me above all. He said, well, that's not what we were trying to say. We were saying that, you know, that our, our, our names were on Jesus' heart when he died for us. I said, that's great, but that's not what you said. What you said was, you know, Jesus above all kingdoms, he's above all nations, all powers, and at the end you find out, hey, we're above all. This is so great. And so regardless, millions of people have come to know Jesus' love for them <laughs> through above all. I don't think Paul does as much as he used to, but he it was, not, was clearly not his intention, uh, but God, God can use it. So we just don't want to become so nitpicky that, that people don't even want to ask us. Uh, Because our faith is not in our knowledge of doctrine. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Through doctrine, we get to know Him. That's how we understand who He is. Uh, But our faith is not in our doctrine. Our faith is in
2: Jesus. Yeah, the Scriptures remind us that demons can ace theological tests, you know? Even the demons believe and shudder. That's not the difference maker, right?
0: Okay, practical question time. How would you answer the church attender who suggests with enthusiasm that a particular song that you already know you will not sing, that you do it maybe now, that this, this is a song we should be singing? How would you like pastorally, this person is now in your face after the service, I heard this on the radio, this is the stuff. It's, it's going to bring the presence down. Th- heavens rend, the glory descends. Yeah this is the song for us.
2: Fire's coming down.
0: How would you, pastorally just kind of help somebody like that would have that?
2: Um, if they're open, I'd honestly, I'd, I'd, it's a great opportunity to be a worship pastor in that moment. It's a great opportunity to take, take them out to coffee and say, oh, I'd love to talk with you about that more and to spend the time uh, and then talk through, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I have a we have, based on the Scripture, a few criteria on which we select our songs. I want to walk through these. And almost like as you're walking through it, allow the person to, if they're willing to sort of be patient with you doing that, um, if they're demanding it anyway, uh, you know, I, I have to at some point be able to say, before God, I, I, have, to, uh, I have to stand before Him, you know, and uh, be able to feel good about my call as a as a teacher and my call as someone who puts prayers on the lips of people and as i look at the scriptures and then look at this prayer i don't know that i can faithfully do that and it's it stinks because usually it's a it's a line in it or it's just one spot where i totally get it you know uh, but because of that line i just don't i can't in good conscience give this to the people of god as something to say because i don't think it's honest i don't think it's right i don't think it's biblical Uh, And somehow to be able to have cast it in the frame of a pastoral discussion as opposed to as opposed to a Pharisee that says, like, that's bad doctrine. That sucks. We're never doing it, you know, Um, and be able to give it, cause it to be a pastoral moment. Because what that does in turn is it it is a way of educating your congregation on on what worship is and does. And you have a chance to theologize and bless and strengthen and edify a disciple in becoming a more mature worshiper.
0: Maybe, sorry, I'll get no, to you no. in a second. The, um, um, just, I promised to plug Zach's book. You should buy Zach's book. One of his chapters is on the worship pastor as mortician, and he talks about how uh, um, we're helping prepare people for this the battle of death. My, it's very near and dear to my heart. My grandmother passed away about two years ago, 98, the last several years of her life. She was not mentally quite clicking, not all of the… Short-term memory or even long-term memory was there, but um, she didn't, for example, remember that her own husband had passed away. Where's Walter? She would say. They have to explain to her again. He died two years ago. Tragic. Ten minutes later, there it is again. The things that she she couldn't read, she had hymn lyrics in her mind and in her heart in the last days of her fight for faith. She had, you could always start her on, you know, she couldn't recognize her own family, but if you, oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the, you know, lean, she'd start with the alto callback, leaning on, G, you know, has these things. Wow. So, what weapons in the fight of faith are we giving people? And when we, when we just have some, when we allow just any song to work its way into the memories and into the hearts of our people. We're giving them, or we're disarming them in their fight of faith in the future. So it's high stakes, high stakes.
2: You know, that reminds me of the, I I talk about this in my book. There's one place, and people might not think this is right. There's one place where I have compromised and I felt like sold my soul to the devil and led a worship song. And that place has been a funeral. Um, I know not everybody agrees with me, but when you're sitting across the table from a family who's grieving and, uh, they they love and this worship song or this song. It's sometimes it's not even a sometimes it's like this dumb country song that has nothing to do with Jesus and just means a lot. And I'm like has no place in a worship service. Come on, guys! Biblical theology of worship. I'm not going to say any of that to the grieving person before me. And that's just. I think that's the mess of pastoral ministry. I think that's the mess of being on the ground. Um, and I have sung things that I never would sing or lead because. The, that moment was a special moment where I felt called by God strangely to love uh, in a way that trumped that. And I know that can get us into some crazy territory, but I feel like that's the gray area of ministry. Like, I feel like God's heart would grieve in that moment if I told them that's, that's heresy, and we're not going to do that song that so and so loved and you know, and it, you know I, I say I draw the line at heresy I mean I really do and so none of the songs that I've ever led have been that way but the kind of questionable stuff where we're like that's not the best for the people of God those aren't the, the good kinds of things. The funeral has been the time where I have compromised more than any others and I still will I still will because it's uh, it's the place of love it's the place where um, your job in that moment actually is more is less to lead all the people of God through this and to particularly minister to the folks who are at their center of the grieving, you know?
1: Yeah, I I would describe that as a, I would agree. Uh, I would describe that as a trust in God's sovereignty. That's that's that I just want to give you a biblical category for it rather than living your life in compromise for years.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. I feel absolved right now. <laughs> that's
1: good. No, it, it is. We had a situation recently, funeral, where someone asked to do something and they called me and I said, you know, that's, it's really not, so I told him no. So I asked, but I asked for another pastor's thoughts. He said, "You know, it's it's a funeral. They're a family member. Let's just do it." So we did, and it was fine. And but but that's where I learned it. This is this recent revelation that you know God's bigger than one song. Uh, he's bigger than than something that's really not the most edifying. You know, when someone gives comes up and gives a, a shares about the person who died. And it's just like, they're just going like off everywhere. You know, we had a lady, an older lady in our church die uh, a couple years ago. And I mean, the stuff that was being said was just like, no. But that's who she wanted to share. And you're doing it to honor. I think it is active act of love. But I, it's also a trust that God can handle that. He's, he's going to even use the things that aren't quite right to, to um, express his heart for people. And you can overrule it. Well, I've been
0: doing that wrong. Sorry. <laughs> I, I literally, I mean, this is a, a real story. I was at a funeral, and a, a family member wanted to play a recording of Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. <laughs> and I said, no. I can't. I, I mean, that was, uh, that just felt so antithetical to the gospel. And I just felt like that is... I mean, that, that's the, the big E on the eye chart of, of what you were talking about on like the old Adam. That is the old Adam. Yep. So I've. I, I, did you talk to him about it? No, I punched him in the mouth. Okay. No, <laughs> of course I talked. That may have been the problem. I did it my way. <laughs> I, I, I will say they weren't, they weren't happy with me. Yeah. I, I will say they were happy with me. Um, it is where I.
1: Uh, Were you their I'm- pastor?
0: No. Okay. I mean, it was like uh, um, people kind of like coming in to use the church building. Oh. I see. And if you know, I just like ah, oh. you know, I might have done that wrong. I'm, i and I'm glad for the gospel that covers yeah. dumb yeah. pastors yeah. and, um, and all yeah, of us.
2: I, I think I probably would have done the same thing. You would have. I probably wouldn't have done it in that instance. It's that yeah. it is it's so. Yeah. Okay. It's contextual and it's in that moment and. Yeah. Good. There's lots of listening to the spirit you. in that moment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You don't feel Okay, then,
0: that, I, good. then I've never done anything wrong, then. That's, I, <laughs> that's the one I was worried about. Can
1: I respond to uh, yeah. the question you asked previously? Um, uh, yes, to what Zach said in terms of someone comes and asks. Also, just in terms of preventive, yeah. when you introduce a new song, explain why you're doing that song. That's like, great. talk about the lyrics you can sow into your church over time the fact that you care, actually care, about what these songs are saying. Lots of times we just do songs because they're accessible, easy to learn, easy to sing, hey, people can pick that up, no problem. That's not why we do songs. That's, that's maybe a consideration, but we're really doing songs because we want to feed the church. We want to give them songs that they can remember for decades, hopefully that will feed their souls. So just talk about why you're doing the song, a new song, and make comments about, you know, you, we pick songs in this church because we want to f- enable the Word of Christ to dwell in you. You may not hear a song, you know, on the radio here. Um, we're, not, we're against it, but that's not why we choose the songs we do. So we're going to do this song, you know, just to help head off maybe some of those conversations. So good.
0: Okay, eight minutes left. Um, Practical question, what if your pastor and you disagree on whether a song should be sung or not? How can I submit to my elders and yet not quench what I feel how the Spirit is leading me?
1: I've been in that situation. (laughs) Uh, Yes, but you've got a… Well, I think we'll have the same answer. Do you want to answer it? i am going. Okay. You make your case. Uh, Well, again, a lot of this… There's a preceding question is, what kind of relationship do you have with your pastor? So if it's one of antagonism, that conversation is going to look different. If it's one of growing trust, it's going to look different. If it's one of mutual trust over decades, totally different conversation. So um, this was a a situation where kind of building trust. And I would express my thoughts, just say, "Mm, um... Can we talk about that? Yeah, um, it just seems like this leans more to this, this says this, and I don't know if that's the best thing to do for the church. So just as clearly as I could explain what my issues were, yeah. and not to do it in a self-serving way, like, I don't think this, but just for the church, I, I don't think this is the best. And, and if he came back to me and said, I want to do it, uh, then, then I want to lead it as though I thought of it. Yeah, that's good which I think is really important. Um, you know, not do it with like a dour face and like play out a tune and miss notes and stuff, but, but to do it with enthusiasm and, and so, through my words, any theological information that I think needs to get into the song, which is not included in the song, oh. so that I can do it with faith and joy and see what happens after that. Hopefully he doesn't come back and say, yeah, let's keep doing that song. So that's how I do it. Yeah,
2: I mean, the only thing I'd add is, is kind of what Bob said earlier, that um, I, in these moments, too, I, I trust in the sovereignty of God. And God has chosen that pastor, not me, to, to call out for this particular office. Um, unless, you know, unless the person choosing the worship songs, unless I am the sort of lead pastor or one of the elders, God has called this person and not me. And so uh, there is a, a healthy measure of after making that case, still comes back no. I think the simple answer is submit. Uh, submit in that moment. And, and hopefully you do have that kind of relationship where those things don't happen that often because you're thinking, you're, you're in agreement, and you're sinking theologically, you're sinking pragmatically, and, and those times come. To, S-Y-C-N. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. S-Y-N-C. Yep, yep, yep. S-Y-N-C-N.
0: Great. Okay, we've talked a lot about questionable sources. Let's go the other direction for a bit. What are some attributes of ministries that you would look for that are commendable? What and some resources that you would like to include in your services and make available to people? Like, oh, that's that's from a questionable place, but this would be the sort of thing that I I'm looking for resources from ministries like this.
1: Can I can I answer in a couple sentences the the previous area like the the topic of the seminar? Yeah. I don't know if I've if we've Sure. directly spoken to that. That's the last question, so. It is? It's coming up? No, no, that's, that's it. Oh, okay. That's uh, before we just head there, um, the edification factor is, is crucial in, in choosing songs for your church from questionable sources. I, I've realized recently, too, that doing one or two songs from a questionable source is a statement in itself. So if there's a, there's a group that produces tons of songs, but you only do one or two of them, that says to your church, we're doing these songs not because this group did them, but because they line up with the theological categories and the pastoral aims that we have for the church. Um, I think as long as the edification issue is dealt with, God gives His truth through many means. And I, when I'm listening to songs from questionable court sources, I'm actually hoping that I will find songs that are just exactly what I'd want to sing. Uh, because I know God's not just given His gifts to people like me. He's given His gifts all over. And so I pray that, and I, Hillsong would be a great example of a group that, whose songs, theologically speaking, have just grown immensely. If you have... Um, if you were listening to their songs early, late 90s, early 2000s, world of difference between what they're putting out now. I mean, we do Man of Sorrows, which is just such a clear statement of substitutionary atonement and of the effects on our lives. We love singing that um, because it's so well written. It's just so clear, so good, easy to sing. It hits all the bells. So, you know, I'm just
2: happy to, happy to do that. Um yeah so Great. Yeah I might say one thing to just in closing sometimes song songs in different contexts can actually take on full-blown different theological meanings um at, you know in a prosperity church when victory when the word victory is used and victory is in a song a lot of times that uh that can actually be full-blown translated and reappropriated, and if you're sort of a gospel-centered church that harps on and sings and focuses on the victory of Christ on that cross and his victory, it's amazing how lyrics totally change in that context. And it's amazingly redemptive, actually. And it depends on the way the lyrics are construed, but sometimes they, they have buzzwords that mean one thing in an aberrant tradition that don't mean the same thing in a gospel-centered tradition. Uh, and that's, that's, at least for me, a, a bit of a freeing notion because I've actually had that experience where we will sing a song like that and I'll be in a conversation with someone who will realize that that song could, have, could be and has been sung a different way when they talk to their friend from down the road or in a church there and they realize, like, like, I've never thought of it that way. And what's funny is probably the way that, uh, that they didn't think about it was the way it was intended to be written, but it, the meaning changes in a context where uh, it is orthodox and where you are gospel-centered. And I, I think, I don't know, that's just a little bit of a helpful other category of how kind of gray this is, but yet it's all it all hinges on the pastoral ministry. Like if, if we're focused on the gospel and if our church is attempting to remain faithful to the Scriptures, this stuff helps filter itself in a way. Yeah. So...
0: Thanks for coming. I, I think you're hearing… I'm going to ask you to pray in a second, Bob, so if you want to write something down. Um, I, th- um, I think um, this has been a really good conversation. I've been so… Thanks, Zach and Bob, for your… Um, can we thank, thank these guys? So fantastic. I think one of the things that we're seeing is there's a bit of a transition in paradigm. I just love, again, like the words about pastoring people, getting in people's lives. Many of the worship paradigms that have been in the past have come from people recording albums primarily and doing public um, things on the side or doing worship concerts or worship conferences, and I just really commend to you the sort of uh, pastoral thoughts that you're hearing about. Mm. Bob, would you um, pray for us and we yeah. can head out?
1: Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk about these things. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, curate the songs that our churches sing. And that is that is a privilege and a responsibility and we, did, we wanna do it well. We, we don't wanna do it with a pharisaical attitude We don't want to do it with a negligent attitude. We want to be faithful. And Father, even as we pray that, we know that (laughs) we won't be as faithful as we want to be, but we can be more faithful than we have been. And so I pray that for each of us, we would would see this task of selecting uh, songs to put in the mouths of the, the members of our churches, uh, take that seriously. We take that task uh, soberly and joyfully, that we would see it as an opportunity to enable the Word of Christ, the gospel, to dwell in people richly. That they might live in the freedom and the joy and the goodness of sins forgiven, of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ and might have strength for this life which is filled with dangerous toils and snares. But may the songs we choose be a means of grace that enables people to walk through their lives with confidence and faith and trust in You. And we thank You we thank you for the songwriters who are producing songs. We do, we do pray that uh, where there are ministries that are imbalanced and, and seem to be uh, off the edge in different ways, Lord, that you would, you would bring the, the weight of your word and the weight of your, your glory to their songwriters, and they would, they would continue to seek to grow in writing songs that are faithful to your word, faithful to the gospel that your church might, might sing more new songs because there will never be enough songs. Even in eternity, there will never be enough songs to give you glory for who you are and what you've done. So we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.